Welcome to Every Moment His, a podcast dedicated to contemplating how God's preached Word impacts every moment of our lives. This sermon was preached at Holy Cross in Kearney, Nebraska by Pastor John Rasmussen. Let's go back to what we talked about last week. I know it can be hard to even remember what happened last week, uh, but last week we uh, talked about this theme of hypocrisy or being a hypocrite, and uh, we learned how that word really means that somebody hides from God or hides from others, where we present ourselves as something that we're not, when we pretend to be something uh, that we really are not. And Jesus talked about that with the Pharisees as they did all these external works, the washing of the hands and whatnot, the, uh, what were called the tradition of the elders that Jesus talked about and how these were really giving the appearance of loving God when in reality Jesus said that their hearts were far away from God. And in today's text, we're going to continue this theme of hypocrisy or pretending uh, where Jesus talks about how those who give the appearance of being righteous and holy and yet their hearts are unclean. And we're going to see how the heart is really the problem And the only solution that will make things better is for Jesus to deal with the heart. Uh, We oftentimes will focus on external things, you know, outward behavior. Jesus is always going to get down to the heart because the heart is what really needs to be dealt with. Uh, And uh, so we continue this theme of hypocrisy because um, one of the meanings of hypocrite is to be what is called a false Christian. And what I mean by that is to, uh, to not truly be converted, meaning that we do the outward things of the Christian faith. You know, we come to church, we have church membership, you know, we kind of do the outward Christian things, but there's really not a change in the heart. Uh, and this we would call a, a false conversion, not a true or genuine conversion. It would be hypocrisy. It would be pretending to be something that you're not pretending to be a follower of Jesus when you're not. And that would stand in opposition to uh, true, genuine, real conversion, which is when there's been a real heart change worked in us by the Holy Spirit. And and so that's what we're going to talk about today as Jesus goes into uh, the root problem, which is the heart. Now, to kind of start talking about this, I'm reminded of of a time when I was in seminary. Last year of seminary, I was working for a friend of mine who was flipping houses in St. Louis. And so uh, my job for about a month was to paint uh, this mansion in the Forest Park neighborhood of St. Louis. It was this huge mansion. I really had my work cut out for me. Uh, I had to paint this whole entire stucco house white. And, And it was kind of, you know, like really a rough surface, so I had to really go over it again and again to get it nice and bright white. Well, after a while, I finally got this whole house painted. And man, I think I, I think I earned a little muscle with that. I kept doing this for eight hours a day and uh, finally got it painted. And around the end of the job, um, I had to go down in the basement of the house. Now, I had never been in the basement of the house. I had been in the upper floor, the lower floor, and that was all immaculate. I mean, they had like these marble floors with these uh, like uh, early 20th century kind of like designs. It kind of looked like the Great Gatsby, Gatsby a little bit. It was just really cool. Um, and anyways, I uh, went into the basement and immediately I was overcome by the smell of mold and mildew. And down in that dark basement, there was water standing. Um, so beautiful house, 
Nice shiny white exterior, but down in the basement it was rotten. Um, you know, darkness plus humidity plus you know, water doesn't do great things to a basement. And that had just been left unchecked there for a long time. And I share that story with you because it's really a picture of the Pharisees, right? The Pharisees were presenting themselves as this, you know, shiny white exterior, uh, as being holy and clean before God, and yet Jesus calls them whitewashed tombs in the Gospel of Matthew. He says that on the outside they look nice and clean and holy, but on the inside, they're dead and decrepit and rotting, uh, that there's filth underneath in the heart. And that's really what Jesus is showing us today is that, you know, sometimes we, even in the church, we might put up this nice exterior, you know, we might, uh, we might do all the things that Christians do, we come to church, we, you know, do all these things, but really underneath the heart, we're hiding. And there hasn't actually been that real heart change in which the heart is cleansed and made new by Christ, which would be true, genuine conversion. So let's get into this a little bit deeper. So we take a look at the text. Look with me at verse 14. It says, And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. So Jesus, in his often cryptic way, throws out this parable. And not surprisingly, the disciples are confused because that's what they do in Mark's gospel. Uh, look at verse 17. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Literally in Greek, it goes into the toilet. Thus, he declared all foods clean. Now, look at verse 20. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. So Jesus is using this language of clean and unclean, uh, and the things that defile and the things that don't. Now, in order to understand the gravity of what Jesus is saying, we have to understand this distinction between clean and, and unclean in the Old Testament. So let's be clear on that. So how many of you would say that Leviticus is your favorite book of the Bible? Favorite book, anybody? No? Anybody have like a Hobby Lobby sign at your house that has a, a verse from Leviticus? on it, like purge from your midst the unclean thing or something like that. Might want to put that in somebody's bedroom maybe, like clean up your room. But uh, Leviticus is not a super popular book in, in, the, in the church, it, just because a lot of the language is foreign to us. It's not really familiar. Um, it's dealing with uh, this, these categories of clean and unclean. So in the Old Testament, there were laws, specific laws given to the people of Israel uh, that dealt with the things that are clean and unclean. Now, some of the things uh, that fall into this category are foods. So, uh, was Moses allowed to eat bacon? No, nor the people of Israel. Anything that came from a pig, they were not able to eat. Uh, so, because the, the pig was, was 
uh, called an unclean food. And so that and many other foods were called unclean. Also, the touching of a, uh, of a dead body would render you unclean. Certain uh, medical conditions would render you unclean. And so you were not fit or able to come into the presence of God unless you went through either a time of quarantine or a time of cleansing. Um, and so that's this distinction of clean and unclean. Now, we might look at the rules in Leviticus and say, those are really weird or even kind of odd. Uh, they just don't really make sense to us. But we have to understand that these rules given by God had a very specific purpose for His people at that time. They were designed to teach His people some very important truths that have now been fulfilled in Christ and no longer apply to us in such a specific way, but were nevertheless important. So there's three important truths that we learn about this distinction between clean and unclean. The number one important thing is that God is holy. That's what all these laws are teaching God's people. And yes, those laws don't necessarily apply to us anymore, but think about it this way. Do you have rules that you had for your three-year-old that you don't have for your 13-year-old? Of course because your 13-year-old knows some basic truths about life that your three-year-old doesn't, hopefully. So God was teaching through these rules that seem kind of strange to us. They're teaching God's people that God is holy. Now, the word holy in the Scriptures means set apart. It means special, set apart, other. And so God was teaching His people that they were not to be like the other nations, but God is holy and set apart, and so Israel must also be holy and set apart. The second thing that these rules were teaching God's people is a deeper uncleanness called sin. It was teaching God's people that there is this thing called sin that renders us unclean so that we are unable to come into the presence of a holy God. And so the third truth is this, is that for those made unclean by sin, we must be made clean in order to enter into God's presence. That's what these rules are teaching, and they've been fulfilled for us in Jesus Christ. And that's why Jesus is able to say that all foods are clean. Thank God for that if you like bacon. All foods are clean, but rather it's the thing that comes out of the heart that makes us unclean. So, Jesus is really getting down to the root source here. Jesus is saying that it is the heart that is the problem. We think about exterior behaviors, you know, things on the outside, things that we do. Jesus says, no, you got to get way underneath to the heart because the heart is the source. Uh, we look at, uh, there's a lot of problems in this world, right? We can look anywhere and see all kinds of problems and those problems always go back to the human heart, right? The human heart. So let's look again at verses 20 to 23. Here Jesus gets to the heart of the matter. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. And, and I think what Jesus is saying is that when you eat something, it doesn't defile you, but when it comes out the other end. It does defile. That's defiling. We want to stay away from that. And Jesus says that's very much like what comes out of the heart. Do you see the comparison there? Gross, right? That's what Jesus says is coming out of the human heart. He says, for from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts. And then Jesus is just going to list for us these things that break the commandments. 
So, for example, he says sexual immorality. The Greek word is porneia. You can guess where we get words in English like pornography, for example. This would be any type of sexual experience outside of marriage, the marriage covenant. Theft, that would be stealing. Murder, Jesus is going to say this extends even to hatred for another human being. Adultery, this would be breaking the covenant of marriage, both within the thoughts, the imagination, and in action. Coveting, this means that we want something or someone that is, God has not promised us. Wickedness, deceit, sensuality, this means kind of do whatever you want, no, no limits, just do what feels good. Envy, literally in the, in the original language, it's evil eye. It means that you have an eye for something that's not yours. Slander, this is when we trash talk others and, and gossip about them. Pride, foolishness. Jesus says these are the things that come out of the heart and they defile a person. Now, I want you to turn in your Bible with me to Jeremiah chapter 17. That's on page 645. Jeremiah 17, even in the Old Testament, we, we hear the prophet getting to the root of the problem. And I believe that Jesus has this particular verse in mind when He says what He says about the heart. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. Let's just read it together. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? That would not make for a great motivational poster, right? The heart is deceitful above all things. But it's true. Jesus sees this and He knows it. Now, this is countercultural because what's the message of our culture? Follow your heart. Is that a good idea? No, it's not a good idea. Because if you follow your heart, it likely might lead you into sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, etc. We want to follow the heart shaped by the Holy Spirit. The heart needs to be inhabited by the Holy Spirit. And even then we can't trust it. That's why we got to go to God's Word, because we'll always be led astray. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying the heart is the problem. Now, this is going to teach us three really important truths about the difference between those who are truly converted and those who are pretending. So listen carefully. These are important. Number one, Jesus is teaching us that sin isn't just something we do, but rather is sin is something in us. Do you see that? Sin isn't just something we do. It's actually a condition before it's ever an action. It's kind of like if somebody has COVID and they're going to manifest symptoms like a fever and a cough and, and chills and things like that. Those are symptoms, but those symptoms are arising because of a deeper thing going on, which is the virus. And so sin is like the virus, and it expresses itself in symptoms, symptoms like coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, etc. Sin is always a condition before it exhibits itself as behaviors. Now, I want you to see that this doesn't mean that being a human being is a bad thing. Being created in the image of God is a high and a noble thing, so to be a human is not sin. 
But God has created us in His image, and sadly, the fall into sin means that every part of our life is corrupted by sin. Uh, That means that our mind, our will, our reason, our intellect, our emotions, our words, our actions, our relationships, everything is going to be touched by sin. Do you see that? Because it's the heart from which sin proceeds. It's kind of like uh, if you've ever heard of the, the myth of Midas, King Midas, the old Greek myth about the guy who touched everything and it turned to gold. Didn't turn out well for him in the end. But for us, because our hearts are unclean with sin, that means that everything that we touch will be defiled by sin as well, to some degree. Our relationships, our work, even our worship. Did you know that? We have to admit that about ourselves. You cannot be a Christian unless you admit that about yourselves, that everything we touch is defiled by sin. You have to come to terms with the diagnosis unless you're going to receive the cure. You see, I would say a mark of true conversion is that we are willing to admit the worst about ourselves. We're willing to admit that we are sinful through and through, and that everything that we touch is infected by sin. A mark, a a sign of a false pretend conversion is that we're going to always dial back on sin and say, it's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal. We're going to focus on outward behaviors. True conversion is always going to go to the heart and say, oh God, my heart needs to change. The second truth that Jesus is teaching us here as He reveals the reality of the heart is this, is that on our own there is no way out of sin. No way out. Because it's, it's, it's not that we can't love God, it's that we won't. We'll wiggle our way out of it every way. We're, we're going to hide from God no matter what. There's Will you admit that with me, that that there's no way out of sin on our own? you got to come to terms with this. There's no way out of sin except for Christ and Christ alone. Do you see that? You see, true conversion means that we recognize, that we say that there is no way out of sin except for Christ, that His life, His death, His resurrection for me is everything. It's everything. And He alone is my salvation. He is 100% my righteousness and right standing before God and not even a shred of my own effort or good works because there's no way out on my own. People talk often about inviting Jesus into their hearts. We would never do it. We can't. Jesus has to come in. He has to break in and have an intervention in our hearts in which He cleanses us and renews us and heals us and gives us forgiveness. The only way out is Jesus. You see, a mark of false conversion is we're always going to think there's a different way out of sin that's, that's something other than Jesus. We're going to think that maybe our efforts, maybe our good intentions is going to be the way out. Or maybe we need just like 99% Jesus and 1% me. No. It's got to be all Jesus or nothing. Do you see that? And then the third thing that we learn what Jesus is saying here about the heart is that we cannot come into God's presence. We just can't. Do you see the conundrum here, the catch-22? That we, we can't get ourselves out of sin and we can't come into God's presence as we are and so it's game over. 
we would be in quarantine forever were it not God intervening in Christ. It's got to be Jesus. He's the only one who makes us fit to come into the presence of God. And so, so when we receive the forgiveness of sins, when our heart clings to Jesus Christ and His life, death, and resurrection in faith, what it does is it actually cleanses us and makes us right and fit so we actually can go into the presence of God boldly. But on our own, we can't. True conversion recognizes that I cannot go into God's presence apart from Jesus Christ, and I won't dare to apart from Jesus. False conversion thinks, you know, hypocritical pretend Christianity says, well, of course I can go into God's presence. Why wouldn't I? You see the humility here? We're saying Christ alone. We've got to come to terms with the bad news that everything we touch is made unclean by sin. But here's the good news of the gospel. Listen to this carefully. Everything that Jesus Christ touches is made clean. Everything. One of those beautiful things, those beautiful details that we have in the gospels is that Jesus goes, as He goes around in the gospel of Mark and the other gospels, oftentimes He touches people who were considered to be unclean under the laws of Leviticus. And he's not made unclean, but the person he touches is made clean. True conversion, genuine repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, true conversion is when Jesus Christ reaches out and he touches your heart, and your heart's made clean. That's what it is. There has to be a change of the heart, and that change of the heart only happens when the Lord Jesus reaches out and he touches your heart. Not the outside of you, but the inward heart. And this is something that you can't do. Only Christ does it. We have a beautiful picture of this uh, given to us in um, Ezekiel. Let's take a look at Ezekiel. We just don't spend enough time in Ezekiel. Ezekiel 36, 724 is the page number. Ezekiel 36, verse 25, uh, Jeremiah told us the bad news that the heart is deceitful, corrupt, but here we get the good news of the gospel from the mouth of the prophet. God says through the prophet in verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. Let's just read verse 26 together. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. That's the solution right there, is that through the prophet, God promised that there would be a day when, when He would send His Holy Spirit, that Christ would reach out and touch your heart and touch my heart and cleanse us from all that is filthy within it, and He would give us a new heart, a heart that is soft and sensitive to His Word. Turn now to Titus chapter 3. We've got these Bibles in the pews. We've got to use them, right? Titus chapter 3, 998. 
And here we see the same thing that God promised through Ezekiel fulfilled in our Lord Jesus. Titus chapter 3, verse 3, Paul says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. That's the human condition, the human heart right there. But, look at verse 4, but when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Now, notice what Paul says. He says, not because of works done by us in righteousness. That's plain language right there, right? Not. Not by what we do, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. That's what it means for Jesus to reach out and touch your heart, is that He regenerates you. He gives you a new heart through the washing and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Some of you may have uh, read the the Chronicles of Narnia. It's kind of the classic children's uh, uh, book series by C.S. Lewis. And uh, in the fifth book, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, uh, C.S. Lewis gives a beautiful picture of what regeneration is, what the heart being touched by Jesus looks like. Uh, There's this character named Eustace Clarence Scrub, and he's kind of a stick in the mud. He's just kind of a sniveling, kind of negative kind of kid who's, who's on this uh, journey of the, uh, uh, the voyage of the Don Treader, this uh, ship, and he's just negative about everything. Well, anyways, as they get to the island that they're uh, anchored at, uh, he decides to sneak off, and he goes and finds treasure. He finds uh, just a big stash of gold, and he starts to steal some of it, and what he doesn't know is that it's dragon's gold, and he actually, the penalty is that he's turned into a dragon. So now Eustace is a dragon, and he's miserable. There's no way out of him being a dragon. And so for days and days, he just carries on sulking until he meets Aslan. And if you know anything about the Chronicles of Narnia, you know that Aslan is the Christ figure. So Eustace meets Aslan, and Aslan shows to Eustace this pool, and he invites him to go down in the pool to bathe. But before he does, Aslan says to Eustace, you must first undress. And so this scaly dragon begins to claw at his scales to try to pull them off so that he can then go down into the water. The first time he peels off the outward exterior scales, kind of like a snake does its skin, and he steps out of it, but then it reappears. So he does it a second time. Then he does it a third time and a fourth time. No success. And then Aslan says to Eustace, I must undress you. And so with some fear and trepidation, Eustace lays on his back, and Aslan takes those massive uh, lion uh, claws and digs it into his heart and pulls underneath and sheds that skin. He pulls it up from the root of the heart. And then laying there next to Eustace is this knobby, kind of gross-looking pile of dragon skin. And Aslan invites Eustace to go down into the water and wash, and he comes out clean and fresh and new like a boy again. That's what true conversion is. 
is when the Lord Jesus puts out his hand onto your heart and he gives you a new heart, a clean heart, a heart that desires what he desires and that's sensitive to his word. As we end today, I want to invite us as a congregation into some self-reflection. The Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says this, at the end of his letter he says, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Because the truth is, is that just coming to church doesn't make you a Christian. Just kind of being here and doing the stuff doesn't mean that genuine, true conversion has taken place. Just getting confirmed, right, doesn't do it. Uh, to have a new heart is what it means to be converted. And so Paul invites us to test ourselves. And so I ask you, what kind of relationship do you have with your sin? If you're a Christian, you know very clearly that sin still inhabits your heart and it bothers you. So reflect, think about this. Are you comfortable with sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness? Are you comfortable with these things, living in your heart and even coming out as actions? Or are you in a battle with these things? For those who are truly converted, there is a battle. Even if we suffer momentary losses, there is still a battle. But for those who are not truly converted, there is no battle. But you are comfortable with these things residing in your heart, and you're not fighting them. You're allowing them to live there. What is the relationship that you have with Jesus Christ? Is He an add-on, an extracurricular, or is Jesus Christ your very source of life? Is He a matter of life and death for you, or is He a matter of convenience? What is the relationship that you have with your own baptism? Is your baptism just a thing that happened once and maybe you have a signed certificate somewhere, or is your baptism a daily part of your life? Is it the promise that you live by? Is it your anchor? Is it the only thing that you have to hold to, the promise from God that He cleanses you, that He washes you and forgives you and gives you a clean new heart? Is it the pattern by which you live your life of daily dying to sin and rising with Jesus? It's important that we don't fool ourselves, right? Some of you have a heart that's always convicting you, and you're wondering, oh man, am I really converted? And be at peace, because your heart trembles at God's Word. You know the Scriptures. You, you want to know your Lord Jesus. He's not a trivial matter for you. But I speak these words for any among us who may be hiding from God, who may be just going through the motions and hiding from God, but the heart change hasn't taken place. And our Lord Jesus invites us to repentance and to a true and living faith in His name. Sometimes I don't know how to wrap up sermons, and so we're going to wrap it up this way. We're going to end it with a prayer. And that prayer is not my words, it's God's word. Psalm 51. Let's turn to that in our Bibles. Psalm 51, page 474. We just spoke these words not too long ago. This is the prayer of David. Psalm 51, verse 11. 
or rather verse 10, Psalm 51.10. This is the prayer of the converted heart. It's the cry of all those who've entered into a battle with what resides in their hearts. I'm going to speak it. We're going to speak it together the second time, and the third time we're going to pray it, okay? Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Let's speak it together. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And this third time we conclude as we pray to the Lord, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. In the name of Jesus, amen.